Hallelujah. Well, glory. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Good Friday on Wednesday night. That's what we're doing. Wasn't that awesome? Praise God. And uh, we are so delighted that you are here tonight. We're going to be having communion um, at the end of the service. I'm going to preach a while on the cross, but I think it's good for us to pray about the people in Brussels that have been affected by that, that terrorist attack. I believe that we should lift up our hearts in one accord tonight and believe for the hurting to be well taken care of and for them to receive the proper medical attention and also for the hand of the Lord just to be extended toward that whole country and that whole nation. We know that they're hurting. We know what it feels like here in America to have attacks on our home country. So, Father, with this, just lift up your voice. You pray how you want to. I'm going to pray in English. You just pray out of your heart tonight. Father, in the name of Jesus, we lift up. We are asking, Lord, for your comfort of the Spirit of God to minister real strong to the people in Brussels right now in the name of Jesus. And Lord, all of those attackers, those other plans, those other plots, those other strategies of the enemy, we come against them in the name of Jesus. Lord, we know we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. We know it's principalities. We know it's powers. We know it's rulers of the darkness of this age. We bind up and break the power of any satanic influence coming against Europe and coming against this nation in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's just lift up our hands and thank Him because He hears our prayer. He answers our prayer. He is faithful. He is good. And He is God in the name of Jesus. There's an evangelist uh, minister of the gospel whose wife is actually from Belgium and they were heading over there yesterday and they're going to be over there for two months and they're going to be ministering they were just in San Francisco and in Stockton and also in uh, Roseville and so we want to hold up uh, brother Guy we also want to hold up his wife right now as they go to minister to pastors as they go to minister in that nation father right now we ask you to use them for your glory use them for the glory of God Lord Put your words in their mouth. May you minister healing. May you minister strength. May you minister courage to the people of Brussels and to the people of Belgium. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, guide their steps, lead them in a safe path in the name of Jesus. And everyone said amen. You may be seated. I don't know, for some reason this mic is dead. So I'll take another one if I can. If I can have a live one. Thank you so much. Is everybody doing good tonight? Easter Sunday coming up, right? At 9 and at 11 a.m. Let's just invite people. Amen. The Easter invites are out there. Um, just you never know. You never know who you might meet, you know, in the restaurant or wherever you're at. Just just invite people. People are a lot more open than we realize. You know, sometimes we, we kind of get caught within the four walls of the church but the church amen is mobile and as we go i believe that christ will do some great things amen for a few moments tonight before we have received communion i want to talk to you along the lines of the great exchanges billy graham said this he said in the cross 
of Christ, I see three things. First, a description of man's depths, uh, depths of man's sin. Secondly, the overwhelming love of God. And then thirdly, the only way to salvation. In 1 Corinthians 2, the Apostle Paul addressing the church at Corinth said this, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So he says, well, what about the resurrection, pastor? You know, some may protest and they may say, well, you know, shouldn't that be our primary focus? But understand this, without the cross, there would be no resurrection. There would be no joy of an Easter Sunday without the sorrow of Good Friday. In 1867, an all-night session of negotiations between the uh, Soviet Union and the United States ended in a blurry-eyed 4 a.m. treaty signing. The Russians agreed to sell all 586,412 square miles of the territory called Alaska to the United States for the purchase of $7.2 million. America got one of the largest, most beautiful resource riches of, uh, of land on planet Earth for two cents per acre. That's a good deal. In 1919, the Boston Red Sox are the king of, kings of Major League Baseball, winning the championship time and time again. Their star player, however, is unhappy, so they decide to sell him to a nearby team that has been in the cellar for years called the New York Yankees. <laughs> Babe Ruth becomes a Yankee, and the Red Sox will, will not see another championship for 85 years. <laughs> is they watch the New York Yankees go to 40 World Series and winning 27 of them. And so basically what I'm saying is this. These are examples of some of the best trades in history, or worse, depending on, upon which side of the trade you're standing on. But the most one-sided trade ever transacted was ratified in blood nearly 2,000 years ago. The covenant was between the father and his son, perfection with perfection, not God and us, but God and Jesus. And so at the cross, you and I are offered an opportunity to make an extraordinary set of exchanges. The first exchange I want to talk to you about tonight is this. Praise God, our sinfulness for his righteousness. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21, I'll quote it to you for the sake of time, and you can pull it up there. But in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says, For he, that's God, made him, Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might become or that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You see, when anyone comes to the cross, they find that there is a great offer waiting them. There's a perfectly righteous man hanging on a cross, willing to make an exchange with them. And basically he says this, give me your sinfulness and I will give you my righteousness. And you know as well as I do that righteousness means right standing with God. He gives us the privilege and the ability to stand in the presence of a holy God as if sin never existed before. 
without a sense of guilt, without a sense of inferiority, without a sense of not belonging. The father and his family welcome us into the family of God, and he's got a robe for you, and it's called the robe of righteousness. We didn't deserve it. Our righteousness in the natural realm is as filthy rags, but this gift of righteousness is a free gift. It's not something that we attain to. It's not something that we earn. It's something that has been bought and paid for through the Lord Jesus Christ. We, in fact, are the head and not the tail. We are above and not beneath. And through this gift of righteousness, the good, good Father says to us, you can begin to reign in this life. How many of you know you don't have to wait till you get to heaven to enjoy some heaven? You can enjoy some heaven right here in the nasty now and now. Somebody say amen. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Billy Graham said this. On the cross he was made sin. He was God forsaken. Because he knew no sin, there is a value beyond comprehension in the penalty. He bore a penalty that he did not need for himself. How it was accomplished in the depth of the darkness, man will never know. But I know only one thing. He bore my sins in his own body upon the tree. He hung where I should have hung. The pains of hell that were my portion were heaped upon him. And I'm able to go to heaven and merit that which is not my own, but by his right that he made me right in his sight. Peter could look back to the cross and he would say this, Who his own self bore my sins in his own body on the tree? That I, by being dead to sins, might live for righteousness. And then he says, by whose stripes I have been healed. John looked back at the cross and could only utter this. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as a sacrifice, oh, to take away our sin. So we should not belittle God's creation. We should not belittle God's masterpiece. You may not feel that good in the natural realm, and you may not even look that good in the natural realm, but our Father does not see us through natural eyes. He sees us through the blood covenant. He sees us through the substitutionary sacrifice that Christ bought and paid for us. So say it with me real strong, I am by the blood of the cross. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The second exchange that we look at tonight is our shame for his glory. Our shame for his glory. What did Adam do the moment that he had sinned? He hid from God. And what did he try to cover himself with? With fig leaves. I mean, a pretty weak covering, right? As if God didn't know where he was and if God didn't know what he had done. But over the years, man has devised even more sophisticated ways to try to cover their shame. But covering shame will never, ever remove shame. And the scripture says of Jesus that who for the joy that was set before him... He endured the cross. He did despise the shame, but he paid the price anyway. And he took our guilt away, and he covered us, and he clothed us with his glory and with his honor. Oh, man, that's good news. 
You see, when Jesus looked ahead to the cross, he didn't see only pain. He saw unspeakable shame. Say it with me. He bore my shame. And so we are invited to come to the Calvary, to come to the cross and leave our shame there. You know, my testimony, there was a lot of shame involved in that. And it took me a while to really receive the forgiveness from Christ. But once I saw what he did, and once I saw that he paid the price, my days of shame were gone forever. You see, because at the cross, our consciences, they're sprinkled clean. All of our deep defilements are washed away. And I do want you to look at this verse in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13 through 14. Hebrews, the ninth chapter, and the 13th and the 14th verse. And I'd like for you to, to read it with me. This, in, in a sense, is Bible study night. Ready, read. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the hashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, verse 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works. I'm here to tell you, you are not the man you used to be. You are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. You are his masterpiece. You are a new creation. You have been sprinkled. You have been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, the third exchange is our brokenness for his healing. Our brokenness for his healing. And I just want to paraphrase Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 5. Let me read it to you like this. He receives wounds for our transgressions. He receives bruises for our iniquities. Our peace is purchased by his chastisement. His stripes inflicted by the centurion's nine-stranded whip effected our healing. At the cross, in the place of the great exchange, we can lay down our brokenness and receive his wholeness. And so tonight, if there's an area in your life that's broken, we're going to pray. And we're going to ask God to bring his wholeness into your life. Jesus stood up in the synagogue and he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. And one of the things he was anointed to do was to heal those that were broken in their heart. Your heart may have been broken. Your mind may have been broken. But I'm here to tell you tonight that the Prince of Peace is right here. And he brings shalom. He brings wholeness for your brokenness. And he, like Brenda said Sunday night, he can take the ashes of your life and he can make them a beautiful thing. Oh, I think we ought to put the garment of praise on for a moment. You know, you can go a lot of directions with healing for your body. We know that it's been bought and paid for. Say it with me tonight. By the stripes of Jesus, I've been healed and I'm whole. The fourth exchange, I love this one. He took our curse so that we might receive his blessing. 
Galatians 3.13, it says, Christ purchased our freedom, redeeming us from the curse of the law. Let's look at that, Galatians 3.13. See, the first Adam let his curse loose in the world. But at the cross, the last Adam established the legal framework for turning blessing loose in its place. Let's read this verse together, please. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Look at verse 14 with me. Let's read that together. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit Man, no more cursed. No more cursed. No more fear to live life. How many of you know that fear is a curse? But that curse of fear has been broken. And I love that verse in 2 Timothy 1 7 where it says that God did not give us the spirit of fear, but he gave us a spirit of power and of love. And of a sound mind. You may have in your life had wrong words spoken over you. Maybe by a relative. Maybe by a coach. Maybe by a school teacher. But I'm telling you. The curse of those words are broken. When you become a born again Christian. You do not have to accept any longer. The labels that this world has put upon you. All you need to do is receive with a teachable spirit the engrafted word of God, and it will literally save your soul. Amen. Say with me, I am blessed. I am blessed in the city. I am blessed in the field. I'm blessed coming in, and I'm blessed coming out. I have been blessed in order that I may be a blessing. How many of you are too blessed to be stressed? <laughs> Stress is no fun at all. Right? The cares of this life will enter into a person's life if they allow them and choke the word of God and cause it to be unfruitful. And so we must then realize that stress is a curse. And you and I have been blessed with the peace of God. That passes all understanding. I know it's difficult outside of these walls. I know that many of you get up very early in the morning. You go on a job perhaps that you'd rather not be on. And you fight rush hour traffic going and coming back. I realize that you are in contact with a lot of contamination in the world. But you have something on you the world knows nothing about. You have the blessing upon your life. I said, you have the blessing. Say it with me. I have the blessing. I have the blessing upon my life. Well, aren't you worried about terrorist attacks? Talk to the hand. I'm too blessed to be stressed. I'm declaring that no weapon formed against me is going to prosper. No evil shall befall me, neither shall any plague come nigh my dwelling. He's given his angels charge of me, and they keep me in all my ways. I am blessed. 
Say it with me, I am blessed. So the fifth exchange is this, our poverty for his abundance. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. See, having more than enough is a part of the blessing. We serve a God whose name is El Shaddai. The God is more than enough. Not El Chipo, the God who's less than the least. He's El Shaddai. Now notice this in, in, in verse 9. Let's read this together. He said, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty... Now let me talk to you a little bit about that. He became poor the moment he stepped out of his heavenly eternity and stepped into the body of a man. He laid aside the splendor of heaven's throne and moved into the vulnerable, fragile body of an infant lying in a feed trough in a rustic desert village in the Middle East. The most radical drop in status and privilege and comfort that any resident of the universe has ever willingly chosen. And this is what Paul had in mind, I believe, that as he was pinning these words about he became so very poor so that you through his poverty might be rich. In Philippians it tells us that we are to have the same attitude that Jesus had. Although he existed in the form of God, the scripture says he did not, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or clung to but he emptied himself taking the form of a bond servant how many of you know we're servants of the most high God never has a man been so utterly destitute as was Jesus on that hill in those final moments he became poor In every way a person can be poor, he had no comfort, he had no defenders. And the question is, why? So the destitute paupers like you and me could become living heirs of the King of Glory. We're not paupers no more. Because God ain't poor no more. And so all I'm saying is this, is when we approach the cross... And we accept the terms of the great exchange. We become rich. We become rich in love. We become rich in hope. We become rich in peace. We become rich in power. And yep, we also become rich in abundant provision for our every material need. Let's not just center in on the money part. Let's center in on being rich in love. How about being rich in joy? Rich in peace. And so the centrality of the cross is the hallmark of an authentic life-giving gospel. A gospel with the power to heal not only the sin-sick, heartbroken individual, but also our entire culture. And lastly tonight, 
And we could talk for several more minutes, but we are having communion. And for the sake of time, I'm going to keep this brief. But the last exchange I want to talk to you about is our rejection for his acceptance. Our rejection for his acceptance. You see, in Christ Jesus, the Bible says, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Jesus. At Calvary, Jesus took your rejection and alienation from God, and he took it upon himself. In exchange, he offers you and I complete and utter acceptance by the Father that was uniquely his. Man, that's good news. Our alienation from God was nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ. He was the stone, the Bible says, which the builders rejected. He knew that he must suffer many things for this generation. And in closing, I want you to look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 and 22. Are you ready to receive communion tonight? The cross. Hallelujah. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. He's done it all for you and he's done it all for me. So as we approach this time of communion, you know, Jesus told us to to do these things in remembrance of him. That word remembrance carries with it the thought of a, a resuscitation or a reciting of what he has done, a proclaiming an acknowledgement in a setting like this publicly of what he has done for us. His body that was broken for us again represents our broken lives becoming whole through him. As we think about the broken body of Christ, we also want to discern the fact that we are part of a greater body of Christ worldwide. And God is doing some awesome, wonderful things throughout the earth. And we are to rightly discern our brothers and sisters in foreign lands and different cities and different countries. And we're to hold them up and to be praying for them. And also, us individually are part of the body of Christ. And every one of us have a role to play. We have a supply to bring in his body, for his body, locally, right in the local church. So as we discern his body, we discern and examine ourselves and and ask ourselves, are we serving the Lord? Are we just going through the motions? Are we in the place that God has graced us to be in? Are we fulfilling all that he's put on the inside of us? And I believe that that is an important thing to do as we receive communion. So let's hold up the bread tonight. On the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, take eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I'm going to have Brenda come and talk about the blood just for a moment. And um, we'll make sure that she's got a mic here. 
And honey, I want you to test, test. I want you to lead us in some good confessions about the blood. Hallelujah. When Pastor was sharing tonight, reminding us of the work of the cross, immediately I was thinking that the blood, the blood will never lose its power. An old song that we used to sing. The blood will never lose its power. It reaches to the highest mountain and it flows to the lowest valley. The blood speaks that day when the blood poured out of his precious, sinless body. The blood was speaking of our redemption. With every drop that hit the ground, the blood was saying, they're redeemed. I'm washing them whiter than snow with my precious blood. And you know, the blood didn't just speak on that day. The blood forever speaks. The Bible says that the blood of the Lamb, the blood of the Lamb is in the throne room of grace. And that blood cries out, Holy, 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 Holy is the Lord God Almighty. And that blood cries out on behalf of us. If the enemy comes, and the Bible says he's the accuser of the brethren. But when the enemy accuses us, you know what we do? We say, I plead the blood. I plead the blood. You might be bringing up my past. You might be bringing up my failures. But I plead the blood. The blood speaks for itself. The blood says, I am a brand new creation. The blood says, I'm washed. The blood says I'm redeemed. Hallelujah. There's saving power in the blood. There's keeping power in the blood. There's protecting power in the blood. This day and age in which we live, the blood speaks of our protection. Yes, it does. Every single day, we need to be saying, I plead the blood in the name of Jesus. I plead the blood. Matter of fact, everybody, right now, let's just say this. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. For your precious blood. For your precious blood. Power in your blood. Power in your blood. That saved me. That saved me. Power in your blood. Power in your blood. That has redeemed me. That has redeemed me. And I will speak. And I will speak. Of my redemption. My redemption. I'm saying. I'm saying. I'm redeemed. I'm redeemed. I'm made righteous. I'm made righteous. I'm an overcomer. I am an overcomer. I overcome. I overcome. By the blood of the Lamb. By the blood of the Lamb. And by the word of my testimony. And by the word of my testimony. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. That your blood. That your blood. Has power. Has power. To protect. To protect. And me and my household. Me and my household. So in the name of Jesus. So in the name of Jesus. I Over my family. Over my home. My home. Over my car. Over my car. Over my place of employment. My place of employment. Over my kids' schools. My kids' school. Everywhere we go. Everywhere we I go. I plead the blood. Plead the blood. And I thank you. Thank you. That no evil. Evil. Shall befall us. Shall befall us. Neither shall any plague. Neither shall any plague. Or any terror. Any terror. Come now. Come nigh our dwelling. Come nigh us. 
blood. Amen. And the blood makes much of us. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We thank you for your blood. We drink this in remembrance of all that you have done for us. 